Every year, life sciences teams dive into another round of brand planning, a process that seems to begin within months of the past year's plan going into execution. In a seemingly continuous planning process with little settling in period, the question we're asking is, does the process need to evolve? Hello, and welcome to Dynamics High Five Podcast, our take on specific healthcare industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm Mindy McGrath, and I'm joined by my colleague, co-host, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiast, Ryan Hummel. Hi, everybody. And joining us a little later on today in the cast is our colleague, Eileen Smith. She's Dynamics' resident expert in all things brand planning in the life sciences world. And in today's episode, we're chatting about whether the brand planning process is broken. And stick around for our parting thought. It's that thing that we've either heard, read, or seen that we'd like to share with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Excellent. We're I'm excited ready. about this topic. I know. And Eileen just strolled in, so we are ready to get started and talk with her a little bit about what's going on in the brand planning world. Excellent. It's that time of the year for life sciences organizations to jump into their brand planning cycle with the blueprint really starting to take some, some shape now in the industry. We see provider M&A continuing to escalate. Health plans are tightening access in an overall evolution of the ecosystem. We wanted to spend some time just exploring how brand planning efforts are evolving. And with us today is our colleague, Eileen Smith. We like to call her the brand planning guru. Welcome, <laughs> Eileen. Hero. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. So let's jump right in. Every year, marketing execu executives in many large and otherwise sophisticated companies find themselves in what I would say an uncomfortably familiar position where they're rewriting their annual plans just months after they've put them into execution. This means that within a year, organizations are really just rethinking their brand and their portfolio planning. Eileen, I'm, I'm curious. You've been living in this the world for a while. So what are your thoughts on the overall brand planning process? Yeah, thanks, Mindy. Um, I think you summarized some of the key challenges pretty nicely. Um, I will step back and say a brand clearly needs a strong vision and strategy anchored in meaningful insights. And they need to develop tactical plans for execution that are aligned to that strategy. So kind of in summary, like the outcomes of a brand planning effort are clearly intended to do that. They're clearly a needed part of the process for marketers. It's a really part of like valuable part of their toolkit. Um, but the brand planning process, which I think we can talk about today, is something that's classically or currently been viewed as broken. And that's kind of where the challenges are coming from. Um, you're right that it can span the better part of a marketer's year. Um, and it really requires a lot of critical thinking space from marketers about a strategy that they almost just put into implementation and some of their tactics are just getting off the ground. And then they're being asked by the organization to kind of say like, okay, don't focus on the here and now right now. Let's look at next year. What should we be doing? And so it's kind of that balance of what are you doing with your active part of the strategy mm -hmm. versus how much do you need to step out of your role and look forward to the next year? Um, you'll often see the final sign-off for a brand tactical plan late in Q4, and the beginnings of the new brand planning cycle will be Q1 of the following year. So it is, it's a challenge, and even just that part of the process can be broken. But um, And when you say broken, like, Greg, what do you mean? Like, yeah. what's broken feel like, or how does it show up in the organization? It's a great question, and I think um, it depends on the lens that you take in that organization. Mm -hmm. So if you're the marketer who's kind of carrying the onus for that process, 
it feels broken because what new insights do you have from how effective things that you just started doing can really be into the next year? How much has the landscape really changed to um, to give you new insights into what you should be modifying? And also, if you really believe in your marketers and your marketing talent and the organization, you sign up on a strategy, strategy shouldn't really be changing that often. Some of your priorities, some of your tactics should, but you should really have a strong, strong strategy. And in the face like with the exception of in the face of major changes, think LOE, launch, new competitor, new indication, you could be focusing being a lot more effective on your strategic priorities and tactics than kind of taking a wholesale step back and starting over almost each year. Um, that being said, kind of I think from the leadership organization lens, um, it can be a little bit broken because they don't feel like they're getting what they need from the marketing mm -hmm. teams or the marketing organization. Um, to upend what they're doing and really be more effective, because when you when you do it when you do a brand planning process every year, the goal to come out is something new and different, something that's going to make an impact. It's really going to cause an inflection in your trajectory. Um, a lot of people don't feel like they're getting that, yeah. and there's many reasons for that. Got it. Yeah, and um, just to follow on, you you mentioned a lot of these key components of brand planning that I've read about or heard about just a few minutes ago, but when we think about kind of the triangulation of three things, brand strategy, the mm -hmm. idea of where are we now and where do we want to be, the tactics behind that and actually implementing it, implementing it, Eileen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've talked a lot in these podcasts about how dynamic and how changing the environment is. So I guess my question is, how, how are customers or clients evolving knowing that all those things are happening and pressures are increasing? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think from an organizational perspective, kind of broader from brand planning, they are changing and they're evolving. And you see the leadership priorities change from year to year of what should we be focusing on that always trickles down, you know, to kind of like the head of um, a brand's um, kind of decision points, which is owned by marketing, right? So while the brand planning process seems to be kind of like a one size fits all, if you've been in marketing for years, you kind of know the drill. The process doesn't change. What changes are the pieces and priorities that uh, the leadership organization feels you should be focusing on. And so I think uh, a telltale sign of something being broken or, or at least kind of cracked um, is that that direction is only coming from the top down versus within the marketing organization saying, within my brand, within my product, within my landscape, um, against my competitors, I should be focusing my brand planning process this year on this new and evolving component. Um, an example of that, like one thing that comes to mind is the new, or it's not new, but kind of like the evolving perception that classical marketing has less of an impact now in the face of the rise of the impact of market access and physical access truly mm -hmm. on our customers. Um, so how do, how do the brand plans reflect that? And how does the brand planning process support that change in focus? Um, is it something where some organizations, what they're doing now is kind of trying to make less of a one-size-fits-all approach for each brand? They're taking the specifics of that landscape or of that product lifecycle and letting the marketing teams kind of own and shape their own process? Or, you know, they're kind of expanding the ownership of brand planning. It's not just the marketers anymore. You need your market access team in there, not just as a consultant on like an almost finished brand plan, but as like an anchor to what you your brand plan is ultimately going to be, what your priorities are, how will your tactics work? Because your customers, your clients are changing when you look at it from that lens. I yeah, think. no, it's it, it sounds as though 
the idea of brand planning and the process is is it working is working right mm -hmm. and i think it sounds like it's evolving as quickly as our environment around life sciences is um you know i guess the one fundamental question that i have eileen is what are some of the biggest challenges with the process itself yeah um I, I agree. Like it has to be working, and it's an important part of the process, like we mentioned before. Um, the important part about it is like really just taking a step back from day-to-day -day execution, because you can really get solid up by that, and just saying what has changed. Pressure testing your assumptions, pressure testing even kind of the way that you, the channels that you're using, and you can think of channels as the classic channels, and also the people that are out there in the field. Um, classic field sales organizations are expanding now, so we can focus on those systems of care in different ways than we did before. Um, but that being said, all of that is part of a, a marketing organization or a marketer's day-to-day -day job. So I have heard kind of some complaints about the challenges, which um, kind of stem back from, I, I want to say like three areas. Okay. Operational is one of them. The tools and skills that kind of enable a robust brand plan. Um, and then just responsibility. So really quickly, I think we've touched on this, but operational, there's a lot expected of your market organization. A lot. They have a lot of tactics in the air. They have a lot of customer relationships. They have a lot of internal and external customers that they're kind of coordinating with on a daily basis. So for this um, kind of extensive brand planning process as it exists today can last over months and require a lot of cross-functional coordination. It's, is the lift worth the investment, right? Or is it worth the investment for the types of marketers that are getting involved in it? And how can we structure that more effectively, streamline it, kind of get better outputs with less time taken away from making sure that they're operating at the, the highest level for their kind of day-to-day job? Um, the other thing, so the next would be kind of tools and skills. And so really the brand planning process hinges on developing actionable, meaningful insights and then being able to act upon them. So do those, whoever you're expecting to develop and then implement the brand plan, do all of those peoples and their organization around them have the tools and skills to really identify new insights? Um, a lot of that comes down to analytics, kind of assessing your market, um, getting to the why that's underneath behaviors that are observed. And that's not just a capability of a person. It's really a tool, a skill, an organizational structure that supports that um, mindset. So some people feel like they may be hamstrung a little bit there. And the last thing is responsibility. I kind of touched on this a little bit. But going forward, it can't just be the marketing organization that owns brand plans. A lot of companies, they do really prioritize a cross-functional nature of their brand plan. And some are really far ahead of the curve on that. And some are a little bit behind the curve. And how do you really define cross-functional? Where does the ownership come down at the end of the day for a brand's performance? That ties back to the strategic plan. And if it only lives with the marketers, there's going to be some downstream impacts to that throughout the process. Yes, so, so true, so true. So um, I am going to just zone in here on a fascination that I have around the emerging customer. Okay. And when I say that, I'm talking about you know the way that integrated delivery networks are really starting to organize themselves and some of the new deals that we've seen in the past yes. year around like Cigna ESI and CVS Aetna, which look like they're both going to to be blessed to go forward, um, and loads, you know, when you think about these organizations or how these customers are beginning to organize differently, and some of the data and analytic capabilities that they will have at their fingertips. So, do life sciences companies need to develop more advanced analytic capabilities to better inform these brand planning initiatives that we've been talking about, so that they can better understand 
what these emerging customers value and how it informs the rest of their tactics that trickle out of the brand plan. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the word fascinated is great, but I think also mystified kind of falls mm. under that bucket to a lot of people. We're such nerds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like when you talk about more advanced analytics capabilities, I'm also curious about how people are defining that, right? So we all know or we think we know that there's this just like vast quantity of data out there now that we can get our arms around. And if we could only slice and dice it in the right way, if we only had the capability, we would get an insight that our competitors aren't going to get, right? Um, I just like to take a step back and like kind of think through what, how are you defining that capability? Is it, do you have the right people? Is it that your organization is set up in the right way, the right capabilities, the right investment? I think all of this new data out there, all of this change in the market kind of creates, um, in a funny way, a sense of like FOMO. Like, I know there's something in that data, I just need to get to it without really asking the questions of, what am I trying to answer with that data? What data would actually answer those questions for me? Can I get my hands around it? And then once I have it, what are the capabilities that I need, whether that be tool, skill, person, whatever it is? Because it's expensive. And it, at the end of the day, it's patient data. It comes from myriad sources, um, different, um, different levels of kind of visibility into it. You just might not even have like access to it in the way that will answer any questions that are valuable to your business. And I don't want to say give up on it. Clearly, that's not the answer. Like in the future marketing organizations, the strongest ones are going to be those that do crack that nut, mm -hmm. that have the strongest analytic capabilities, but then also know how to apply that to kind of their brand strategies in an insightful way. Um, I just think before we get too far into the capability building, we need to kind of answer the data like the data question itself yeah. is it available right at the end of the day well and i think like back to your fear of missing out comment yeah. you know when you look at just pipelines in general and the fact that science is getting more sophisticated it's addressing more complex disease states and i think what you're seeing with some of these um, organized customers are that they are really starting to develop cap their own capability around mm -hmm. what the data that they collect tells them. Right. And so I think that the fear of missing out is like, are you going to show up with a brand tactic where you're out in the marketplace and it misses the mark because your customer actually knows more about you than you know about them? Yeah. And I just think like as part of brand playing, when you talk about how elements of it could be broken, especially in the process, you know, it's how does this part of it get incorporated in as you start to think about the evolution of those that you are marketing to mm -hmm. and they are becoming more sophisticated. Yeah. I was just going to add, it sounds like, you know, one thing I'd say is from a life sciences perspective, whether you're talking about brand planning or market access, the trend or the theme that I'm hearing is it's become a lot more localized and personalized. Mm -hmm. And how do you figure that out from a data perspective? And you talked about the, the idea of slicing and dicing data and figuring that out without boiling the ocean, as we like to mm -hmm. say, in the, in the consulting world. We've talked a little bit about the challenges of brand planning, what's doing well, what's not doing so well. So a question I would have for us is, what needs to change? Uh, so yeah, everyone has it. ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, what needs to change? That's a that's a pretty loaded question. I think there is an element of brand planning that we touched on basically, but it's this whole idea of 
how um, you start to think about brand planning from a bundled or a portfolio approach. Um, you know, almost like a one company to one customer type of approach to planning. So, you know, as you're considering the brand planning that is done today, I would say what needs to change is how the enterprise plans at either a therapeutic area level or at a corporate level in an effort to really, um, you know, approach the market in a way that feels like there's continuity and consistency to it while taking in, you know, at a brand level, the nuances related to that particular brand. But I feel like there's just missed opportunity in the brand planning process. And maybe we don't call it brand planning. Maybe it's like portfolio planning. But there just seems like there's a missed opportunity from a life sciences perspective in thinking more broadly about um, how you use your current portfolio in a more strategic manner. Thank you for your time. Yeah. And thanks for joining us, Eileen. Uh, Eileen, the guru of brand planning. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great. As we wind down this episode, it's time for our parting thought. And um, Ryan, I'm going to take it first. Fire away. Great. So um, I just read an article published by Fierce Healthcare about this new blockchain alliance that has added two more uh, behemoth powerhouses to its effort, uh, that of Aetna and Ascension. They have joined this effort that's being led by Synaptic. Um, the alliance now includes three of the country's largest payers with United, Humana, and Aetna, and obviously Ascension and Quest Diagnostics. They have all signed on um, to really focus on using blockchain technology to improve the accuracy of provider directories, which we all know has been a longstanding pain point in the health plan world for quite a while. Um, I thought the article was really interesting about how they're thinking about approaching this and how they settled on blockchain as the technology of choice uh, to try to address this longstanding challenge. Um, so check it out if you have a moment. Oh, Mindy, that was a great parting thought. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you bring up that article around blockchain and it's hot off the heels of a podcast we've done recently with our colleague Sam Farmer around some of the reluctant healthcare partners that are, you know, unwilling to go, go down that route of blockchain because um, of their uncertainty. But it sounds like there's some great ta tailwinds around that. Um, my, my parting thought is interesting. It's a little less technical and a little more of a demographic information quiz that I'm going to ask you is how many or what percentage, Mindy, of the U.S. healthcare worker population is not born in the United States? I would say about 18%. I mean, that is a very um, pointed estimate. And you're close. It's something more like 25%. So a Reuters article um, just was published this week around the fact that the U.S. relies heavily on foreign-born healthcare workers. And what I found really fascinating is it's not necessarily, um, you know, nurses and medical assistants, but something like 29% of physicians were born in other countries, 24% of dentists in the United States, and 20% of pharmacists were born elsewhere. Um, and many are not citizens, and they're practicing here in the United States. So in this kind of like really um, interesting, tense time around immigration, it is interesting to know that a vast, uh, well, not a vast majority, but a big portion of the population that is kind of serving our healthcare needs are not American-born. So this concludes today's High Five podcast, and we'd like to hear from you about today's episode or other topics that may be on your mind. So please feel free to contact us at 888-BINAMIC and share your message. 
And until the next podcast, have a great day.